With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, I'm Sai and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. This is our new series, The Serial Killer Files. This is the first episode in this brand new series. Uh, we'll be discussing different serial killers each week. We'll go through the evidence, the crimes committed, everything we can find on these uh, heinous crimes. Needless to say, though, due to the nature of the content which we'll be discussing during the shows, they are not going to be suitable for people aged under 18 or of a sensitive or nervous disposition. We will always try and discuss these crimes with tact and respect because obviously they're true crimes, they're real people, they're real victims. Uh, and it's important to note that this series is has affected real people, families and communities. So we'll discuss them in full, but we'll try and be as tactful as possible. But yeah, they will not be suitable for people under 18 because some of the, as I was saying to Reese just now off air, they, of all the podcasts I've re- sort of researched or got ready for, this was the darkest. It was not pleasant reading up on it because I wanted to make sure I was, I got the facts right and I knew what I, what I was talking about because it's real people, real victims. And yeah, so our subject today is Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, it's a dark, dark, dark guy. Uh, so just before we go there, just some housekeeping. Um, you can find all our podcasts and series on our YouTube channel in video format, as well as audio download on iTunes or our Apple Podcasts, as it's called now, Spotify, Stitcher, Acast, Pocket Casts, and Podcast.co. During these shows, you'll find interviews, podcasts, content, and a whole variety of subjects. We've got shows on mental health, football, films, TV, wrestling, music, conspiracy theories, and much more. Uh, plus, you will also find our new true crime series, which is debuting today. So, first episode of the series on one of the most bizarre, brutal, and scary serial killers of all time, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, as I mentioned. And to join me as we take this trip into the <coughs> scary, scary and brutal world, I'm very pleased to welcome my co-host from uh, the Conspiracy Theory shows, Reese. Thanks for joining me, mate. Welcome. Hello, Ben Sai. Hello, everyone watching, listening. Indeed, this is we're doing uh, doing good on the uh, the audio downloads. The, the the views seem to slowly just build up and up and up, and then the odd video just shot up, like uh, die off ten as a rock, just shot to a thousand views in it's like a week or something stupid. But generally, they just seem to go up slowly and slowly as people find them. The, the audio downloads, but yeah, we're doing we're doing 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 better than I expected. You know, I when when I when I started doing all this, all the podcasts and stuff, didn't expect more than twenty, thirty viewers, listeners, if I was lucky. 
and uh, yeah, we've got a lot more than that now going. We're coming up to four hundred on YouTube, and I think five and a half thousand on Facebook. So can't be faulted. Thank you all. So let's go. Uh, let's go, Jeffrey Dahmer. Not a nice man. So Jeffrey Dahmer was known as the Milwaukee Cannibal. Uh, just a quick sort of introduction, I guess, to him. Um, both his parents doted on him as a child, but he, he was um, emotionally neglect, uh, neglected by his, uh, as his father was away. Uh, his mother suffered with various ailments, including addiction to tranquilizers. But she was also described uh, as argumentative, attention-seeking, and neurotic. Uh, his parents argued a lot with his uh, his mother and father argued a lot, which meant his mum, or should I say his, because his mum wanted constant attention from his, from his father. Uh, as a result, Jeffrey grew up withdrawn, reserved, uh, with very few friends. He had a fascination with bugs and animals from quite a young, young age. He used to collect bugs in jars. He uh, collected roadkill with his friends and would dissect them and take them take them apart looking at the bones uh, and so his father was a cashier chemistry teacher and uh, he thought his son was taking an interest in science so he encouraged it even teaching him how to bleach and preserve the bones um, um, but he also Jeffrey Dahmer by, by the age of 14 was abusing alcohol very heavily um, so a lot of this stuff is based on you know interviews with him interviews with people based you know around the case and stuff like that so it's been collected over the years obviously um these crimes sort of took place in the late 70s or 80s and right up to the i think the last one was 1991 um so at the age of about 14 he started abusing alcohol um he realized he was gay during puberty but the the sort of the homosexual feelings soon turned to more dark sexual fantasies about domination uh, and particularly about uh, assaulting or having sex with an unconscious person um, and it wasn't long before this interest in dissecting animals also slipped into those families so before we get into any of his crimes mate like to me straight away there's like things in there which I suppose from all the things that we know and we read and things about serial killers, the, the harming animals and playing with dead animals and that type of thing is like textbook serial killer. It's almost in everything, you know, every documentary you see, you see a lot of these serial killers have seemed to have that fascination with the, you know, with the dead animals. Um, so, yeah, he's got the textbook, uh, the textbook type thing there yeah addiction that was there with him that was prominent from the teenagers well but i, I think he was was he 18 when he started killing um, 1978 yeah so i think i think he was like 18 19 i have to double check his date of birth but mm. i think yeah he's like he wasn't you know he wasn't old by any means because he, he was relatively young when he was a finally arrested yeah. like i think it's in some ways it's, if you take out of all the 
all that take out the crimes which he went on to commit is quite a sad story, isn't it? it yeah. <laughs> it sounds like his son, uh, his father, obviously was a chemistry teacher, and when he when he saw that his son was doing that, he didn't recognise the, you know, the sort of alarm bells, if you like, of ringing, and actually took it that he was interested in the scientific side of it and encouraged him. And what he did, he taught him how to bleach and preserve the bones. And obviously, with a lot of the, the, the murders which he went on to commit, he did try and preserve the, you know, parts of the heads and bodies. Yeah. and but, So it's, you do wonder, or I wonder, should I say, that, you know, maybe if his, if his father had noticed those alarm, alarming sort of signals or signs, if you want to call them, could he have got him help and could he have, stopped him from going on and being this like brutal serial killer later on in life obviously there's no way to tell but like there's not but it's it's your own child if your child was doing something like that i think a parent's natural instinct is to think the best of their child not the worst yeah yeah yeah, of course yeah so To me, it's a very sad story, but not the story itself uh, for the victims and his own family involved. Mm. Up until once he's convicted and everything else, yes, it's their child, but his parents are still supportive of him. And I, I I can't get my head round that. Yeah, it's a weird one, I think. I mean, it, you know, it, it's it's obviously psychologically affected the parents immensely. Yeah, it's, 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 it's hard, though, isn't it? Because if you think, like, probably, if I would imagine that right up until he was finally convicted and found guilty, I know he, he confessed and all this sort of stuff, but I imagine his parents, like, right up to the confession, are trying to think, oh, my boy would never do this. No, no, it must be some yeah. sort of mistake. Uh, do you know what I mean? They're like, you'd imagine that they're always at that level of almost denial well, because he, they don't think that their child would death, do that. After hmm. his death, his mother said, are you all happy now? <sighs> Fucking hell. It's you just... know, it's... Mm. But, like, the other thing as well is... Um, like some of his victims and his brother, his younger brother, I think it was, they've changed their names and obviously they've tried to, you know, go on to have a normal life as best they can um, and try and lose the stigma of the name where people track them down and whatever. But the parents didn't. They kept the name right up all the way until I think I think they're dead now. But like they kept the name. They, you know, they didn't hide from it. And they, they've yeah. openly admitted and said, you know, they still dote on him, etc., etc. That's madness to me, see. I can, under- I can understand that feeling of, like, not wanting to admit that he's guilty of these terrible, brutal crimes. And I can understand the sort of, you know, oh, this must be a mistake. Oh, there must be, my, you know, my boy would never do this. That sort of thing. But then once he's confessed... And they start showing him, you know, heads in jars and stuff from his room. You know, that's where you've got to be. That's where I personally, you know, I'd be disowning him, I've got to be honest. Well, 
we it's... say that we say that mate we can't answer that unless it actually you know happened because yeah, yeah. the the way that your mental capacity works and your brain works you can easily block that out not saying because you want to mm. but the brain just does yeah and i you know the, you know we're both parents like the, the the bond and the relationship between a child and their parents is is different to any other relationship. Oh, um, yeah. Until you're a parent yourself, you can't even explain it. I, I, can't I used to get it all the time. My mates said like the way they talk about their kids and the things they'd say, and I could I could understand what they were saying, but until you've got a child or children of your own, you, you don't. The love there is just, it's beyond. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's, it's, it's the most powerful force on this earth. And I, I couldn't even bear to think if one of my children did something like that, how how could I react to it? Yeah, it's, a scary, it's like a scary thing, isn't it? And like the other thing is as well, is like, you know, there's people who've committed all these all sorts of crimes all around the world. Um, and, you know, Quite often the parents do stand by them, and I think it's it's still your kids, I suppose. Like I don't like we say, it's difficult for us to sort of get our heads around because obviously we're not in that situation. And like from by all accounts, you know, everything which I read and the, the videos I watched, documentary I watched, said you know his parents doted on him. You know, yeah. they really, really, they wasn't like they just neglected him. And he was left, you know, in filth to sort of fend for himself. No, and just, type of thing. He wasn't a you a product of his environment, let's say. You yeah, know, I mean, everyone you say that. so quick. Oh, it's the parents' fault. Yeah, you say like he did. They did. Um, you know, they did fight. Um, I, the things I was reading is that they did fight a lot, particularly before they just broke up and they were fighting in front of the kids, and it was quite. Um, it started off relatively amicable split, and you know, as these things do, they they just get a bit of a life of their own or whatnot. Um, and the dad moved out, and that seems to be where he went from sort of fantasies about doing these horrible things to yeah, well, to, you know, to doing them. Yeah, because so, his mum his mum moved away as well, didn't she? Yeah, was, so he was living alone basically at 18 in his dad's house or the, the old family house. Yeah, so they had this family home, um, and the dad was often away with work, and the mum was on her own, and she was, you know, she had some issues and whatnot. Um, so then basically, what happened is the, the mum moved out, but then the dad, or like you say, also moved to a hotel, I think it was. Uh, next by so then just that sort of coincided there so then Dave left and he's like you say in the family home on his own um, and at one point he even hid in a in a bush with a baseball bat intending to knock a jogger out who he had sort of seen and taken a bit of a fantasy to and he was going to knock them unconscious and then assault them um, but he didn't he sort of waited in the bush with the bat but he never quite did it but that was the first time where it came from like a dark fantasy into physically harming someone else, even though yeah. like, he didn't do it that time. Um, 
but what happened then is after that, uh, his grades declined in senior year um, due to his parents' impending divorce. They were fighting a lot in front of Jeffrey and his brother. His father moved out. Um, his mother moved up to, I think it was the grandmothers or the aunties. So he was living alone in a family home in this, the aftermath of you know his parents' divorce. Um, and then on June 18th, 1978, he killed his first victim. Uh, so he picked up 18-year-old Stephen Hicks, who was hitchhiking to a concert. So in one of the documentaries I watched, they said that um, Stephen Hicks was quite streetwise. You know, he wasn't naive um, and he wasn't sort of the one to just get in and go with a stranger, um, which I think speaks to how charming um, this guy was in that he was able to, to convince these these men and young, you know, some of them very, very young, some of, one of them was a kid, um, to, you know, to come with him. So he convinced him under the guise of just coming back to his house to drink. So, I mean, you know, a stranger hitchhiking on the way to a concert, you know, he was going somewhere, got into a car with him, which fine, he was hitchhiking. But then he's talked into going to a house to go drinking with this stranger. Um, and then so when Hicks tried to leave, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer bludgeoned him over the head with a dumbbell Um strangled himself to death uh, strangled himself strangled him to death um, he then pleasured himself over the body and dissected it in the crawl space um, within the house which is fucking horrifying is it first first one like it's just it's really grim it's, um, it's, it's, it's unspeakable isn't it how it's just don't get it mate I've got to be honest I don't I, I can never fathom. I, I can, you can never condone it, but I can understand revenge acts and what drives people there. But things like this, it's just, it's, it's got to be. Even, how, how can you even get sexual gratification out of that? It's, mm. uh, yeah, I, I just don't understand it, and I, and I think you know this is why you have people, um, you know, like profilers and the people who try to get into the head of these people and understand why they do the things they do and I just think they've just got to be this got to be something wrong or different in the way well, their brains are wired at, at the hearing you know he, he'd, he'd, he'd already confessed to everything but the yes. main thing then was you know was he sane or you know was he not acting in mental capacity and he got tried as sane. Yeah, and he's nothing, got them. I don't care what fucking profession in the earth looks at this case. Nothing about this is sane. Yes, he may, he may have known right from wrong, but that don't mean he's not fucking crazy than a bag of squiddle shit. Oh, God, yeah, mate. Well, mate, to do, I just think to do these things, there's got to be something wrong. So he was, he's diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Uh, a schizotypical personality disorder and a psychotic disorder. So, but he was still legally found sane. Yeah. I think the main reason they found him sane was that um, the planning behind it, it wasn't like um, he was having some sort of delusion and lost a grasp on what was real and what wasn't and sort of killed the, someone. 
E. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, so, do you know, like... Well, they, they, they say that. There was one of, them, one of the victims, he says he can't remember a thing about it, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, he didn't get one. tried for it. Uh, no, not the first one. It's it, the first one which where he goes back into it. Okay, so let's go in order, try to. So we've got this uh, Stephen Hicks. He does those unspeakable things. He then buries, it, buries the body in a shallow grave in, his, in the back of his property for several weeks before then digs up the body, dissolves it with acid, flushes the remains down the toilet, and then crushes up the bones and spreads them around the forest. So, like, he knew, like, do you know what I mean? He knows what he's doing. He's got a plan. Even that's the first person he's killed. But he's got a plan in his head of how he's going to dispose of that body without people being aware of it. Yeah. And, like, to be fair, it's not a plan anyone could really come up with or be able to get hold of the products or know what products to use. And like you say, the sad fact is it was pretty much his dad who taught him how to do this. Yeah. You know, do I think his dad's any part of this whatsoever? And he can't be blamed for it. In no way at all could his dad be blamed for any of this. No, but he would have inadvertently taught him about when he would have taught him about preserving the bones, he would have discussed um, you know, what chemicals not to use because they damage the bone or they dissolve the bone or they do you know what I mean? Or they make yeah. it soft. Or harder, or you know, whatever it may be. Still didn't teach him well enough, did he? Because he couldn't preserve everything. I know lots of the things he tried no, to no, preserve. No, he had just problems with it. Became too brittle, etc. Yeah. So his um, so his dad moved back to the family home. Only he moved back in with his new fiance. Mm. Um, and not long after, which you know, that in itself must have been quite uh, traumatic for some for a kid who was already an alcoholic. You know, and he would, or he'd killed someone. He had done these unspeakable things. Obviously, the divorce had contributed to his mental state. You know, when his parents had split up and stuff. Uh, obviously, so his, so not long after his father moved back into the house with the new, new, uh, new fiance, uh, he enrolled in as in uh, in the army, training as a medical specialist before being sent to Germany as a combat medic. Um, however, he was formally discharged in 1981 due to his excessive drinking, which is a common theme through his whole story. Is, you know, he was an alcoholic by the age of 14. Uh, years later, two soldiers actually reported being sexually assaulted by him in Germany during that period. Uh, so even while he was away in Germany um, and not killing, or at least as we know, he was not killing, um, he was still having those uh, those urges, I guess you'd call them, where he was, you know, had to like assault people and dominate himself over people in a way which, well, like I say, two people said that, they, that two soldiers said that he attacked them. Which again, I think speaks to like some of the pictures. He looks quite scrawny um, and a bit 
depending on the pictures you see, he can look a bit scrawny and a bit sort of nerdy, if you like. But I mean, you know, he was. I think phys- he was an amazing manipulator of people, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, he must have been to 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 convince so many people to come home with him to, you know, to to like that guy who yeah. first Stephen Hicks. He was on his way to a concert, so he was going somewhere. You know, I can understand he was hitchhiking. Fine, I can understand if he was just hitchhiking. Yeah, just a lonely I could understand him going to his house to drink then. But like to be going to a concert and then be convinced by a stranger to go to his house and drink is, you know, he must have been a very charismatic and charming guy to be able to, you know, talk talk people in. And like I say, the guy Stephen Hicks was a, you know, he's a streetwise guy. He wasn't naive. He knew, you know, he knew the score with strangers and danger and all this type of thing. And with Dharma, you never had many people who knew him come out and say, oh, you know, I knew this was going to happen. He was crazy. He was this. Yeah. No, yeah, you know, he was just, oh, he was overly nice. He was so charming, which you had with Ted Bundy. With Dharma, there was just, you know, he was just a normal guy. Mm. And there was no signs of anything there. No. And, and that shows how twisted an individual he must have been. Master manipulator, as you say, just being able to to get people to do what he wanted, even without the violence and the, you know, the all the disgusting stuff. He was able to to mentally manipulate people as well as physically. Yeah, because I think the psychiatrist determined um, he wasn't a necrophiliac, even though he did have sex with dead corpses. It wasn't that he was a necrophiliac. He wanted, he wanted them to be in an unresponsive state constantly. Mm. Yeah, they, and I think some of the stuff he did to try and make some of his victims permanently in that unresponsive state. Yeah, like drilling a hole in the skull and putting hydrochloric acid in it. Yeah, one of them was hydrochloric acid, and one of them was boiling water. Boiling water, yeah, Just which. Like, the crazy thing is, I'm sure the boiling water had a worse effect than the hydrochloric acid. Oh, Go figure. The, what, the, the young lad with the hydrochloric acid, I'm sure he came round and said yeah, he had a headache. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the one with the boiling water went into a coma, I believe. Yeah. Seriously, though, how, how the fuck do you come, even come up with that? Do you know what I mean? I... <laughs> What 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 makes you think? I mean, because to be fair, he's probably looked into science and doing all these things. Don't get remember, mate. They didn't have uh, you know, didn't have Google. Oh no, so, but I mean, you know, he learned that stuff from his dad. He's obviously he's probably been to the library, he's read books on it. Where did he think? I know hydrochloric acid. That stuff that'll burn through everything. Let's put that in their brain. That'll make them unresponsive. It's that stuff which I use to dispose of bodies. Yeah. I'm going to put that in someone's head. It's fucked up. So imagine imagine <laughs> when that kid sits up and says, i got a headache. What the fuck? That would be freaky as fuck. It's, 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 
disturb him, right? Just the things that he was able, capable of of doing and thinking of, just on another level to what, like, what me and you, like, if someone told you, think of the the like the darkest, horriblest thing you could do to someone, and then this guy is like, and I'm sure you know other guys who were guys and girls who will speak about, but they're just on another level and i just think that their brain is just wired just differently i don't know why i don't know how i don't you know i don't know enough about brain chemistry and brain function to to really go into that but i just think there's got to be i'd be interested actually to look at like brain scans of serial serial killers you know like you can get the scans where you can see that the activity in different yeah. parts of the brain I'd love to be able to like get a load of like brain scans of like serial killers and then line them up against normal functioning members of society and see, you know, see what the differences are and what the difference, you know, what, how do their brain work differently? I like obviously apart from the obvious, but like what how does it no their brain actually function? What if there is no difference? Then it's just scary as fuck, mate. That's what I mean. How many people do you think are walking this earth who have them thoughts and things similar but haven't acted on it yet? Yet. It's frightening, mate. It's a scary, scary thought, mate. Because the way I look at it is like the stuff that, she, that he was like fantasizing about and like the unresponsive women and stuff. That's like, well, sorry, unresponsive men. Um, that sort of shit is stuff which you can only achieve by harming other people, by drugging them and, you know, doing these brutal things to them. There's, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. even as a fantasy in their head, the only way to achieve the, his fantasy is to brutalise other people, which obviously is a big problem if you're trying to... And, like, he's got to be honest, I think once he killed... He didn't seem to be trying to fight that urge to kill. Um, I know, like, when we speak about some other serial killers, there's, there's some who went long periods without killing because they 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 knew that it was wrong or they knew that they, they would try to fight it, whereas he seemed to embrace it almost and just kept, you know, worse and worse than what he was doing. Um, yeah. Okay, so he came back from the US, um, from the, uh, sorry, he came back to the US from Germany, Germany in March, March 81, um, but he didn't go home. He went to Florida, um, basically because the shame of being discharged from the army, he didn't want to face his father. Um, and, you know, you can, all parents and people who have got family in the armed forces, you know, they're all very proud, aren't they? And so... But he did have an honourable discharge, didn't he? Uh, I think it wasn't called honourable. It was called something slightly different. I think it was formal discharge, which I think is basically, I think, is basically like a, where they haven't maybe got the evidence to do dishonourable discharge, but they they want you there. Yeah, I think. I might be wrong about that. Someone can correct me. So he went to Florida instead of going home um, and he had a job. I think it was in a diner 
I haven't written that down, but I think he was in a diner and he had an apartment. But eventually, wasn't he? What's that? Miami in Florida. Yeah, that's it. Miami Beach, and he um, basically he held it down for a few months. Um, you know, working, he had his own uh, apartment, but his alcohol abuse meant that he was ev- ev- eventually evicted from his apartment and he went home. Uh, when he got home, he was quite quickly arrested for drunken, disorderly conduct. Uh, so his dad sent him to live with his grandmother in Wisconsin. Um, his dad had tried to help him, I think, with his drinking. That hadn't been getting anywhere, and I think the arrest for the drunken disorderly, like the sort of breaking point or the last straw for him. Poor man didn't know what was to come, unfortunately. But I mean, you know, at that point, his father's probably thinking, God, he needs to get a hold of his drinking so he can hold down a job and go and have a family and a career. And do you know what I mean? Like yeah. from a parent's point of view, at that point in his life, he's thinking, oh, if I can send him to his grandmother, maybe he'll stop drinking and he'll you know get help or whatever it may be and trying to still you know like like my oldest now he's sort of going up towards his gcse's and he's trying to work out what he wants to do and you're sort of planning and then it's, it's easy to sort of start thinking about what they'll be like when they're older and have a family and all this type of stuff so like at that very point is you know 1981 his father's still planning some sort of life, you know, for his son, not knowing what's literally just around the corner for him. <clears throat> and, um, it's crazy. Oh yeah. Like it seems like seems like he had a lot of those like sliding doors moments where maybe if he'd gone a different path, maybe you don't know, do you maybe he wouldn't have turned into the person that he did. Maybe he would have anyway, no matter what. Maybe he would have been worse. Yeah. There's no way to tell. But uh, I, I think he was kind of always destined to be evil. I do too. I just think if you're having those types of fantasies and stuff. Yeah. Not... I, I'm, I don't buy all that. It's always the parents' fault or their upbringing. No, no, no. no. Some people, you know, like mental health problems. It's, it, it happens. Yeah, can, you know, I, we know about it a lot more nowadays because of social media, things like that. Like you say, back then, there wasn't even, you know, Google and things. It was. Like, imagine, I, imagine reading about that back in the papers back then. Scary stuff, man. Look how shocked it's, we are. Imagine how shocked they were back then. Oh, God. You, you'd just be living in fear. Especially if you had, like, and, you know, once he's killed, like, a few people, and you know there's this serial killer out, you've got, like, sort of teenage boys or, like, young men who are your children, you would just, like, you wouldn't want them to go out the house. No. Because there's just some guy, like, who's able to talk them into doing these, just going off with him. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he goes to his grandmother's. Um, but... And at first, I think everything was going pretty smoothly. He got a job. Um, she didn't like his drinking, but he was working, so I think she let it sort of slide. Yeah, he uh, used to go to church with her and everything, didn't he? Yeah, so it was going pretty well, only for a few months. 
unfortunately, because he was then arrested for exposing himself to some women and children at uh, State Park. And then straight after that, like weeks later, he was arrested again for exposing himself to two young boys. Uh, so he got a year's probation and mandata- mandatory counselling, which yeah, that itself is just... That thing with the two boys, he didn't get charged for exposing himself or... The charge got dropped, didn't he? Because that he basically he was masturbating in front of them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and he said that at first, but then I think he changed his plea to he was urinating and he didn't see him, so it was dropped. Uh, from there. Okay, I see. That makes slightly more sense with the years probation and that's why. Yeah, because obviously to do it twice in a short space of time, you'd have expected some sort of harsher punishment. But yeah, I suppose if he says that. And he's got no record at that point. Why wouldn't people give him the benefit of the doubt, I guess? Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, these had uh, awakened his sort of his dark thoughts. Um, he'd been to the army, he'd come back. He hadn't at that point killed anyone else. But the, the sort of dark thoughts, the f- dark fantasies came back. So he began to hit the local gay scene. Um, he visited some local bathhouses, uh, but just normal sort of sexual encounters didn't interest him. He found them to be disappointing, so he started drugging the the young guys who he, and assaulted them uh, <clears throat> at the bathhouse before eventually his membership was revoked after you know being caught or complained. I just want to stop you one sec, mate. Yeah, on. it wasn't that he um. Well, with the sexual encounters, he hated them moving. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. And he, that he was didn't the like... he started with the drug in them. Yeah, you are right, spot on, mate. And I, I think one of them know. came round or something and he strangled them and then just went from there, basically. Yeah, so, obviously, yes, you're spot on, mate. So, the, they, they didn't, he didn't enjoy just the normal sexual encounters with the guys because, like you say, they were moving and he didn't like it. So he started drugging them at the um, bathhouse before his, he was kicked out of there. So he had to move his sort of depraved encounters to hotel rooms. Um, so during just before this, or during this sort of period, he attempted to steal a body of a recently deceased teen um, and store the body in his home. So basically, he wanted to someone who had, a boy who had just died. He wanted, wanted to, keep to have sex up. with a fresh dead body, didn't he? Basically. Yeah. Um, but when he went to dig the ground, it was too hard to to basically achieve. Um, so we're up to September fifteenth, September nineteen eighty-seven. He invited Steve to Um <clears throat> He'd only planned to drug and assault him, he said. Um, but he fell asleep. He woke up to Stephen's body with his chest crushed in. Um, and Jeffrey Dahmer, he had bruises all over his arms when he woke up. Um, so he left Stephen's body with no recollection of what happened. Just left the body, went to purchase a suitcase, transferred the body to his grandma's house where he spent hours disposing of the body into trash bags. He kept the head. Um, he even tried to preserve it with the bleach and the chemicals, similar to what his, he had discussed with his father when he was younger. Um, 
because he had the plan to use the head for um, for sexual use uh, before discovering it was too br- brittle. Um, but the, like apart from the obviously the distressing and disturbing stuff, it's all disturbing to be honest, mate. But like apart from the bit about the head and the, the sexual use, the thing which sticks out to me when I was reading and uh, when I watched the documentary on it is the fact that he woke up had no recollection of how this like what had happened he was covered in bruises he didn't freak out didn't like panic just left him in the hotel room put i would assume a do not disturb sign on the door and fucked off and bought a suitcase to transfer the body no like in between just straight away just gone like it's incredible it's, it's really sad but like it is just incredible the fact that it doesn't seem to have phased him. It, it's no. logical thinking with no logic. Mm. Sociopathic thinking, I suppose, and it's like, like he'd obviously killed before. He'd killed the boy on the way to the concert, um, Stephen Hicks. So you know, it wasn't like he woke up and he was like, "Oh my God, I've killed someone." Even if he'd had the thoughts and he had like suddenly, oh shit, like gone. Do you know what I mean? He didn't yeah. freak out because he'd already he had already killed someone. But, it, but like, it's still only you know it's only the, the the second time of killing, so he shouldn't be. You know, he's acting like a seasoned pro already. So it shows what what his train of thought is. You know, he is he is what he is. Yeah, and you know, I was just thinking then when you said that it's his second. Um, so only his second, but he's acting like a seasoned pro. Is I wonder whether when he was in Germany, whether he killed anyone, and it's just never come to light because he was in a different country and they didn't. They never. I don't know because he's openly admitted to all of them, haven't he? Even the one he didn't yeah. get charged for, he described the whole event. Yeah. So which means you'd think that he would have said if he had done, you know. And I mean, I mean the only reason I could think maybe he wouldn't have. Uh, you know, confess to anything. Maybe he didn't want to get um, what's it called De- not deported. Oh, fuck's sake. Can't think of the word. Extradited. Yeah. To be true. I can't see it myself because I don't think so. Because people I think would have researched it by now. People would have researched yeah. it and looked at you know missing persons around that time. Followed the whole detective route and. Even if there was no evidence, someone would have put two and two together and come up with five with the tiniest shred of evidence. And there's never been talk of this. So I don't think he did. I think the the raping of the two other soldiers was his thing at that yeah. time. And it's just escalated. Yeah, and it does sound like he had like a little period where he was in the army and when he came home where he was almost... Um, I don't know if I'd say he was controlling himself, but like there was like a period he was in the army, he came back to Florida and then he went back with the family and then he got sort of arrested for the um, the exposed exposure stuff and almost like that sort of relit those urges to go out and hurt people. Because yeah, um, I mean, he wasn't acting as if he wanted to be 
be caught, was he? Because obviously he was disposing of the bodies, etc. Yeah. So he never yeah. wanted to be caught. But I think he was always ready to be caught. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. So by the end, um, so obviously Stephen, uh, Stephen Um he was going to try and keep the head and bleach and preserve it for sexual use before discovering it was too brittle. Um, but by now he was on the lookout for you know to lure to lure men to their death for his sick fancies. There was no sort of amen and aren. He was looking for 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 men, and his next victim was a fourteen year old prostitute, which he was lured with the promise of a payment for photos, um, which. You know, I guess, like, if a 14-year-old is a prostitute, he's, he's obviously got um, his own issues with whatever and money and stuff, and the lure of the payment obviously was enough for him to go with him. And they obviously deal with CD people daily as such. Yeah, so he wouldn't stand out, would he? No, uh, especially if he acted so normal as it comes across. Yeah, so James, uh, his name was James Doxtator. I apologise if I didn't say that correctly. Was um, he the one who was um, an Indian? Um, yeah, yeah, I think he American was. American Indian? Yeah. He, um, he was drugged and strangled, and then he stored him for a week before dispo- disposing of the body. Um, and one of the things, actually, to mention is during his, uh, in his house, um, quite often the neighbours complained about the smells coming from where he was storing the body and body parts and stuff. And they actually, at one point, uh, someone came and said, you know, the neighbours complaining about the smell. And he said, oh, yeah, my freezer, um, my freezer broke down, so all the food spoiled, and that's what the smell is. I'll sort it out. And then he obviously got rid of some stuff or whatever he did um, and then they complained again and then the second time they went back he said oh my tropical fish have died yeah and the dead fish were and it's like thankfully I've not smelled uh, like a dead body which has been stored for any length of time I've not smelled dead body at all so I'm, and I'm quite happy that way but I would think that it's quite a rancid, strong odour. I've never smelled a decomposing human body. Lots of animal ones I have, because many moons ago I worked for the council, clearing away roadkill, dead animals, etc. And the smell of it is... It, it, it burns your nostrils. It's horrible. But the smell of dead fish and gone-off fish is the worst smell on this earth and it, much worse than decaying animals the smell of rotten fish and oh and i was doing a clearance for the council before and we were removing a fridge freezer a, a big chest freezer sorry and we knocked it over and it was full of just fish that had been in there for years that smell will stay with me till the day i die mate Oh, I feel sick every time I think about it. Just one of those which just sticks with you. Oh, it was beyond disgusting. 
Yeah, it's not. Oh. So, sorry, I was just trying to check something. What was the date of the first kill? 1978, June 19th, 1978, the first killing. So, yeah, yeah, you are spot on. Good memory. Um, so, we're like, after James... Docs data. We're up to uh, March 24th, 1988. Uh, Dharma met a 22 year old bisexual man named Richard Guerrero. And he met him outside a gay bar called uh, the Phoenix. He lured Guerrero to his grandmother's residence. Um, although the incentive was on this occasion was just for $50. Uh, just to simply spend the rest of the night with him. Um, but then he drugged drugged him with sleeping pills, strangled him with a leather strap, um, and then performed various sexual acts on the corpse, which is just horrifying. Guerrero's body was dismembered within 24 hours of his murder, um, and then the remains were disposed in the trash again, um, but the skull, again, he tried to retain, um, but he ended up destroying it and pulverizing it several months later because it didn't uh, didn't preserve the way in what he was obviously trying to achieve. But, I mean, yeah, he's got, by this point, he's got a real taste for every aspect of it to me. You know, he's he's drugging them. He's strangling them with this leather strap. It's like the same things. He, he also confessed. Like I don't know. I don't think he said which victims it was, but he's confessed confessed to having sex with the viscera as well. Basically, some of their internal organs. That is just. <laughs> I didn't think it could go up another level, mate. Jesus. Can you go beyond that level? Yeah, I don't think you can. Have you ever seen that film, Crash? I have, yes. A long time ago. I can't. I remember what it's about. I, I can't really remember the ins and outs of it. I can't remember the ins and outs of the film, but that film, and it's... I remember at the time reading a thing that there's loads of people who were like, that is one of their fetishes, you know, to have sex with holes in people's body. I'm fucking. I'm living on a different planet to everyone else. I think. Fucking... What happened to good old missionary and doggy? Come no, on, mate. let's, let's fucking... stick to basics. Stick to the classics, people. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I I know we're having a little laugh and a joke. We're just trying to yeah. make this a, a bit light-hearted, but don't for one second we think any of this is funny or we condone any of it. It's this is the sickest of the sick. And the only way you can talk about these things and get through things like this is you, you need a bit of humour. Oh, absolutely. But yeah. make no bones, Jeffrey Dahmer was one sick, twisted individual. Probably, I'd say sicker than Ted Bundy. And everyone rates him as the sickest. But Dahmer was... I think he's worse than Bundy simply because... Bundy, it, it sounds horrible That's to simplify good. it, but Bundy was just a necrophiliac and a murderer. Jeffrey Dahmer is a whole different level of sick. 
Yeah, it's not. I just, I can't even comprehend. I, I, I'm pretty sure from the way he described it in one of his interviews, he's had sex with an organ and then ate that organ after as well. And that's, it's, what, 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 what could even drive you to, not even thinking of witchcraft or black magic, I can't even think of anything that would drive anyone to do these things in any way, shape or form. Just don't get it meant at all. So March 24th was where he met Richard Guerrero and then literally a month later uh, he lured another young man to his house. However, after giving the victim a drugged coffee both he and his victim heard Dharma's grandmother call. Is that you, Jeff? Um, and then Dharma replied in a manner that led his grandmother to believe that he was alone. But his grandmother observed or she saw the other guy was basically there. Um, so because of this, Dharma opted not to kill this victim. And instead, he actually took him unconscious to the hospital where he had drugged him. Um, didn't have any more information about whether, um, like, you know, he hung around or if he just dumped dumped him at the hospital. I, I think it was a case of just dumping him at the hospital. Okay. Because otherwise, I was going to say, it looks a suspect that he drugged yeah, him and then just found him. I, yeah, I said, you know, I found him in a bar or it was this or it was that. It was just a case of, here he is. But back... Like we say back then, things like this were unheard of. So most people wouldn't have it wouldn't have aroused suspicion like that. They would have thought, "Oh, bless, he's caring for him." Mm, yeah. So that was the April, uh, September eighty-eight. Uh, his grandmother asked him to move out of her house because of his habit of bringing young men to the house late at night and the foul smells emanating from the basement and the garage. She, she must have she must have known something with the smell because it would have gone on for too long. But again, from what I can gather, they had the closest bond, his nan and him. So again, it yeah. could be a case of, I know what's going on there, but I'm not going to believe it. Yeah, I just... It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me in that term to just... I just think... The way I imagine those smells to be, I don't see how a grown adult wouldn't know what it is. But then I don't, I've never smelt it, so I don't know. Like, I can't say it's so distinct that if I didn't know what it was, would I know what it is? You probably get away with saying it's sewage or it's, you know, something like, like he says, you know, the food decomposing, the dead fish. You can get away with that. And like I say, with it being like a child, like to some people, a grandparents will be stronger than a parents. Mm-hmm. And and you, you see it with your own parents and your children. Yeah. So again, it could be a case of the mind has just blocked it out. She's not going to believe that. No way. Yeah, it's a weird one. So he found a one-bedroom apartment, uh, North Street, he moved into the residence uh, September 25th. The following day, Dharma was arrested for drugging and sexually fondling a 13-year-old boy uh, whom he lowered, lured to his home on the pretext of posing nude for photographs. 
So January 89, he was convicted of second-degree sexual assault and enticing a minor for immoral purposes, which that, that, um, that charge in itself shows you how different uh like how different a time it was now i know obviously it's like well over 20 years but like to me and you 1989 doesn't seem like that long ago no because that's when me and you were like you know we were growing up and stuff so like it doesn't it is unfortunately as we're getting older you know it is 20 plus years ago but like, do you know what I mean? Like the yeah. second degree sexual assault and enticing of a minor for immoral purposes. Whereas now, it would be a much more serious charge. And it's um, been looked into a hell of a lot more. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Spot on. Um. So two months after his conviction, two months prior to his sentencing for the sexual assault, uh, he murdered his fifth victim. Yeah, he was a mixed-race 24-year-old aspiring model named Anthony Sears, whom Dharma met at a gay bar in 1989. Uh, according to Dharma, on his, this particular occasion, he was not looking to commit a crime. However, shortly after closing time that evening, Sears just started talking to him, which, you know, obviously hindsight is a, a thing, which... You know, if that that guy never speaks to him, is he? You know, is he still alive today? Um, so he lured him to his grandmother's house, where they engaged in uh, consensual oral sex before Dharma drugged him and strangled him. Uh, so then again, the the conventional, if you like, sex wasn't enough for him. It didn't didn't do it for him, or didn't fulfil his need for whatever it is that he needed satisfaction from normal could he no no um he placed the corpse in the grandmother's bathtub where he decapitated the body before attempting to flay the corpse um, stripped the flesh away from the body and pulverized the bones which were again disposed of in the trash um, according to Dharma, he found Sears uh, exceptionally attractive. So Sears was the first victim from whom he permanently retained any body parts. He preserved his head and genitalia and acetone, stored in his work locker, where he moved to a new address the following year. He took the remains with him. So he obviously had... Um, like I say, it says he he was he said he was ex- exceptionally attracted to Anthony Sears, um, and it's yeah, it seems like he had a bit more of a connection or a obsession with him because he kept you know he stored his head and, the yeah. um, and he stored it in acetone, acetone, which is different to what he had been doing previously, where he was trying to store the heads, he was trying to keep them functioning for him, if you like where he could still abuse them and do all the stuff he wanted to do. Whereas with this Anthony Sears, he seems to have just wanted to, you know, he just wanted to keep keep his head and keep his genitalia. I say just, you know what I mean? Yeah. Seems to be slightly different. But what, um, 
I don't get if it was a trophy or if it was for sexual satisfaction or... Well, I think that one was for a trophy because I think he was intrigued, I suppose, or attracted to him and he 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 was intrigued by the way that this guy looked to the point where he didn't want to just dispose of him the same way and he kept in acetone, which I believe it is... Yeah, I think it's to, you know, to, like, you know, when you see, like, things in jars, which they've been preserved for biology and stuff, I think that's what they use, I think. But, again, I can't uh, be 100% with that. Um, No, what they use in biology and things is um, for for helmaloid or whatever it's called. Not flidamide. I know what you mean. Yeah, for helmaloid or whatever it is. But the, um, the acetone was... Remember the acetone sheets you used to have? The old projectors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was similar to that stuff. It was something to do with that. But it did preserve, just not as well as the other one that I can't pronounce. Yeah, I, 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 I know the one you mean, but I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. Um, uh, May 23rd, 1989, he was sentenced to five years probation and one year in the House of Correction. Uh, with a work release permitted in order that he able to keep his job, but he was required to register as a sex offender, which he is it's one of the... If he committed those crimes now, he would have... Well, I say that, maybe he wouldn't have, but you'd think you'd get a bit more of a stern punishment it's like the work release so he can keep his job. Um, it's almost like they were trying not to... Like they wanted to punish him, but they still also wanted to try and help him because they wanted him to keep his job. Whereas I think now it would have been like, no, you abused a kid, get in jail. Yeah. Should be. Sometimes, obviously, there's, there's times when they don't, but you know what I mean? Whereas they almost seem to be like, oh, yeah, well, give you the work release, you keep your job. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a different different time and different and way of... Help him or hide it, it's one of them. Yeah, 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 I agree with that. It's, the it's world still like... didn't want to believe that this sort of stuff was going on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, God, yeah. This was before they had, like, you had the Catholic Church scandals and all this sort of stuff. Um... May 14th, 1990, Dharma moved out of his grandmother's house into the 924 North Street, apartment 213, which um, is obviously heavily heavily featured in a lot of the documentaries, the apartment, because that's where he was finally um, arrested and taken down. He took Anthony Sears' mummified head and genitals with him. Um, Within one week of moving to his new apartment, he had already killed his sixth victim, who was Raymond Smith. Smith was a 32-year-old male prostitute whom he had lured to the apartment with the promise of $50 for sex. Um, at Dharma's apartment, he gave him a drink laced with seven sleeping pills and then strangled him. The following day, he purchased a Polaroid camera um, and then took several pictures of Smith's body and suggestive poses and positions before dismembering him, dismembering 
him in the bathroom. He boiled the legs, arms, pelvis in a steel kettle with Soilex. I don't quite know what that is, Soilex. Um, which allowed him to then rinse the bones in the sink. He dissolved the remainder of Smith's skeleton, excluding the skull, in a container filled with acid. Um, <clears throat> obviously, because what I was saying, it's brutal and not very nice to, to even read. Um, but he later, he I was going to say, he's, he's, he, at this point, he seems to have almost perfected the disposal of the bodies with the, he's got a big container filled with acid now and he's boiling the different parts to help with the disposal so it's almost like at this point he's really got everything down to a fine art in what he's doing he's he's drugging them he's killing them he's luring them all in the same way every time He's then disposing of the body in a more efficient way. It's, he's obviously he's obviously read lots into it, haven't he? From beyond what his dad taught him. You know, he, he's researched this deep because there is much better products out there to preserve, dispose, whatever you want to call it. But it's the red flags that would pop up buying them products like the yeah. hydrochloric acid i would guess he didn't have too much of it yeah okay yeah i i suppose i'm not sure where you get it from you know i i even don't know where you'd get it from now but you know i'm sure you could but um I, yeah I I don't know nowadays it's got to be a controlled substance you'd think so wouldn't you but i mean but back then, who knows? Mm. Yeah, so, um, and with Smith's, he spray-painted Smith's skull uh, after stripping it of everything. Um, and he placed it alongside Anthony Sears upon a black towel inside a metal filing cabinet. So he had just a filing cabinet with a, a skull that he'd spray-painted and stripped. And a Anthony Smith who was being stored. It's, so one week after he murdered Raymond Smith uh, on or about May 27th, he lured another young man to his apartment. Um, however, on this occasion, uh, Dharma accidentally consumed the drink laden with the sedatives himself. Um, and when he woke up the following day, he discovered his intended victim had actually stolen items of clothing, £300 cash or $300 cash and a watch. Um, obviously, he never reported the incident to the police. Um, although on two days later, he divulged to his probation officer that he had been robbed. Um, which is difficult to find comic relief or like light-heartedness in uh you know it's not, like it's not even a little bit of justice that is it no but uh, it's just you know that guy must imagine being that guy like when you find out like years later or later on that you know 
you were literally, if he'd got the right cups, you would have been dead, like, in a brutal way. But because he messed up giving the cup, the cup he meant for you, he, he drunk himself, and then you got away. Talk about a life-changing moment. You ain't going to get many bigger, yeah. more... Um, you know, more life-changing, I guess, than that. Imagine the relief <laughs> must have swept over that guy's body when he found out who he was. Because, you know, everyone in America knew eventually. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so we're up to June 1990, which to me, like I said, about 89, it feels like it wasn't uh, too long ago. Uh, he lured a 27-year-old acquaintance, Edward Smith, to his apartment where he drugged and strangled Smith. Um, ra- on this occasion, rather than immediately acif- acidifying the skeleton or repeating the previous process of bleaching, uh, where he had rendered the previous victim's skulls too brittle, Dharma placed Smith's skull in his freezer for several months in the hope that it would not retain uh, moisture so that he would be then able to keep the keep it uh, and it wouldn't go sort of brittle and soft and break um freezing the skeleton didn't remove the moisture and the skeleton of this victim would be acidified several months later uh dharma accidentally destroyed the skull when he placed it in the oven to dry to dry dry a process that caused the skull to explode fucking hell um Dharma himself later informed the police he had felt rotten about Smith's murder as he'd been unable to retain any of the body parts. And I believe, didn't he know? Um, yeah, it says he was quite... Edward Smith was one of the only ones which he, he you know, he, he knew he had a relationship with. Um, he didn't just lure them to the room. But... Like when I'm the older brother of someone he did something to. Um, no, no, that's that's come in unfortunately. But like, yeah, he was the one, the only one I think, which he knew, knew on a personal basis. Um, and you know, when I was watching the the one video and it said he knew him and stuff, and then it said, oh, he later told the police that he, had, you know, he was feeling rotten about it. and I was thinking I was thinking oh he's gonna feel bad because he had killed someone he knew and it was like no but he was felt rotten because he couldn't store the body parts. I was like fuck it out. It's beyond messed up. It's crazy mate. Um okay so we've gone well over we've gone like ten minutes over an hour already. But like <sighs> I still got some time. I was wondering whether we should break it into two parts mate. I think oh, we'll no, nearly we need I would nearly have the rest now, actually. No, there's still a lot more to talk about with him, mate. This is where he gets deeper, doesn't he? Yeah, and the arrest itself and that. So I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll break into two. Yeah. We'll record another one next week. Um, so, yeah, this was Jeffrey Dahmer, part one. It's a brutal, horrifying, horrible story to talk about, but... We've tried to do it with a bit of <clears throat> bit of tact, but keep it like as lighthearted as we can, which is obviously difficult because it's you know it is what it is at the end of the day. But we are going to do different killers each week, and you know just uh, 
vary it up a bit, go through it. You know, they're inter- it's interesting to look into it and discuss, the, you know, the, the ins and outs and maybe how they became like that. Could they have been different? Could things have been different? It's just one of those things where it's not that pleasant. But that's, you know, we've got other shows for a bit more pleasantry. Um, you can obviously you can check all those shows at Ace Podcast Nation uh, YouTube channel, Facebook page, uh, iTunes, Spotify, all that type of stuff. Which I said I'll put the links in the videos underneath as well. Um, you can find Reese on Twitter at Shaw Celtic and us on Twitter at at AceCast underscore Nation. Please, please subscribe to the YouTube channel as that helps us keep producing content. Leave a comment, tell us what you liked, tell us what you didn't like, call us a pair of pricks, whatever you want. Just leave us some comments, get involved, want to interact with you guys. So tell us which which serial killers you want us to discuss, which conspiracy theories you want us to discuss. Whatever it may be, we'll discuss it. Um, so we'll record part two of this next week. We're recording... Conspiracy Theory episode number seven tomorrow. Uh, and I've got an interview with Fightful, Fightful's Andrew Thompson on Sunday as well, which will be all, all be out next week. So plenty to come. Uh, join us next time for another episode of the Serial Killer Files. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining me, Reese. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Cheers, buddy. Nice one, guys. See you later. Bye, bye everyone. Bye. Take it easy. Podcast Network.